Welcome to Living Faith Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott Martz. Visit us online at living-faith.church or in person every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the Midlothian Conference Center, number one Community Circle Drive, Midlothian, Texas, 76065. And now be encouraged by this week's message. Now is the time to take out what we call the living faith notes, uh, the sermon notes. A lot of you like to do this, others not, that's fine. Uh, but now is the time to take them out if you like to use the living faith notes, the full page insert in the, in the bulletin. As you're doing so, I want to welcome those who are listening via podcast or listening or watching online at living-faith.church or are now listening on KBEC AM 1390. Now, we are in the second week of a verse-by-verse study, sermon study of 1 Peter. We covered verses 1 and 2 last week. Uh, this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, listen now to the Word of God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. This is God's word. Hope is a powerful thing. Ken Cordier, who as far as I know lives here in Dallas, had almost finished his second tour in Vietnam. He was flying his his F-4 fighter jet on a mission. He was at 24,000 feet. He thought everything was good when, bam, he felt the impact of what was a SAM missile. And he lost stick. Pilot turned for he lost control. No no matter what he did, he could not control that aircraft. And he knew that even though he was successful in all these missions, dozens of them before, not this time. So he made the decision to hit the ejection sheet, uh, ejection button, which ejected him into the air. His buddy who was behind him did the same. And what they were instructed to do was to actually stay in that uh, ejection seat most of the route down. You didn't want enemy uh, shooting you as you're floating softly to the ground. But as he's doing so, he hears another explosion, another SAM missile right below him. He goes through the fireball. He's very concerned now because of the damage. And and he felt the only way to survive was to actually cut himself out of the seat and pull the ripcord himself, which he did. And he found himself very gently floating through a layer of clouds. And he said for a few minutes, it was very peaceful. 
but he knew that that peace was coming to an end. He was expecting then to land in heavy jungle. To his surprise though, he broke through that cloud layer, there was no jungle. It was open rice fields. And he, he saw all kinds of Vietnamese. And he knew that he didn't stand a chance of evading the enemy. So he landed and sure enough, a machine gun was pointed right at him. And he was marched to Hanoi, Vietnam, where he spent six years and three months in a POW camp, along with many other Americans. And it was living hell for, for them for those six, uh, almost seven years. Now what kept him going and the others who survived was hope. And he hoped that he would have American freedom again one day. And he later wrote, as long as you have freedom in your mind, you have a degree of freedom. Again, it was, it was hope in his heart that he would be free again. And he says that's what fueled him for six years and three months. Hope is a powerful thing. Now, some say that, that even animals have a sense of what we call hope. Back in the 1950s, a researcher by the name of Kurt Richter, he took one of those five-gallon buckets, the plastic buckets, and, and he drilled some holes a few inches from the top. He took a garden hose and put it on the, the base of the bucket, and it swirled around, and the water would reach a certain level, and then it would go out the side so they wouldn't come up all the way to the top. And he used mice, and yes, many mice died in the, in the process, but he put mice in the bucket, he observed them, and, and they would swim, they would swim for about 12 minutes. After 12 minutes, each of the mice would start, start to bob underwater, and they would swim to the surface, and they would gulp for air, and they'd go back down, and between 13 and 14 minutes, all of them would drown. And so he did it again. Same results. Critical time period between 12 minutes and 14 minutes by 14 minutes, all dead. So then the next time they put mice in the bucket, they waited until the 12 minute mark. Then instead of letting them just drown, they very carefully pulled each of the mice out. He had people helping him. They gave each mouse attention. They dried them off. They dried their, their little ears. They cuddled them, gave them some warmth. And after a couple minutes, they put them all back in the bucket. Guess how long those mice swam after that? Up to two to three, not hours, days. They swam for up to three days without any hesitation, without any breaks. And, and Richter concluded that that the animals who held on to the possibility that someone was going to save them could survive. The possibility that someone will save them, I would call that hope. And others too, that, that perhaps animals too have this sense of hope. Now today as we continue in our verse-by-verse -verse study of 1 Peter, the Holy Spirit through Peter tells us about a better hope. A better hope, it's, it's a living hope. And if earthly hope is powerful, living hope is exponentially more powerful. My friends, you have, as a child of God, living hope inside of you. 
Now, let's go back to verse 3. Again, Peter, through the Holy Spirit, writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, mercy is God not giving us what we deserve, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. By the way, in these uh, opening verses, again, the Trinity is there. We have God the Father, and we have the, the, the Jesus Christ, his Son. We have God the Holy Spirit. It was mentioned in verse 2. And he has given us new birth into a living hope. Now, if you're doing the, the fill-ins, I'm just going to give you the very first point. It is this. Living hope began at our new birth. Living hope began at our new birth. Jesus talked about new birth to a man named Nicodemus. He was a religious leader. He was part of the Sanhedrin, kind of like the Old Testament Supreme Court, you know, well-learned man, but he didn't know how to get to heaven. He was relying on his own abilities, his, his own strength, trying to keep the law. And Jesus said, you're outside the kingdom of God. You need to be born again. In fact, Jesus said it stronger than that. He said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus was confused. What do you mean? Physically enter my mother and be physically born again? And Jesus said, no. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You must be born of water and the spirit. This new birth is tied into Christian baptism. Baptism is the washing of rebirth, there it is, and renewal by the Holy Spirit. We're told in Titus 3.5, God saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, it's not our effort, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Our new birth, our new hope began at our new birth, which is being born of water and the word of God. I've had the privilege over the years of baptizing a lot of people of all different ages, from, from newborns who obviously don't remember their baptism at that time, but later uh, recall it, to, to children of all ages, to, to adults. Um, in, in Phoenix, I had several occasions where, where people were living their adult lives as agnostics or atheists. And they were empty inside. They, they knew something was missing. They had something that their, their Christian friends they, they wanted something their Christian friends had, they didn't. And I had the opportunity to tell them that it's, it's Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus, again, fills the gap. Jesus connects us to our creator. And, and I had the privilege of sharing with them what Jesus did for them, that he lived perfectly, yet he took that perfect life and he died to take away your sins, and that, that there is forgiveness, everlasting life in them. And then I shared baptism with them. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved and had the opportunity of, of, of baptizing these people. And, and they understood that this was a beginning, a, a new birth, and, and, and a living hope. Now, we celebrate births, right? A new birth is a great thing. Think about that. And you grandparents, uh, the birth of a grandchild, what a great thing that is. Or you parents, the birth of a child, how exciting that is. And I'm not trying to limit that, but a new birth is even better and greater, being born of the water and the word. And, and Jesus says that, that new birth, again, gives us living hope. 
And Living Hope, again, begin, began at our new birth. I would just encourage you, you celebrate your birthday. How many here have birthdays coming up? Raise your hand. Nobody does? Nobody has a birthday coming up? Okay, a few of you do. Again, you celebrate that physical birth into this fallen world. How about celebrate as well your new birth? Celebrate if you are a baptized child of God, that you're baptized into God's family. By the way, you cannot separate Christian baptism from Jesus Christ. We are baptized into his death. A unique death, a one-time death for all, a death that only lasted three days. You were baptized into his death. It was your death. You're also baptized into his resurrected life. He came back to life. You're washed into that. Baptism is God's divine washing upon us that, that connects us to Jesus. And your new hope, your living hope began at your new birth. Verse 3, again, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Living hope, which is very, very powerful, which is exponentially more powerful than any earthly hope we have, it was made possible through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What Jesus did over 2,000 years ago is really amazing. You have to really think about it. He resurrected. He, he came back to life. He lives, has lived a new life in his human body ever since. He's the first. He's the first fruit. We're going to follow. God's going to give us a resurrected body one day as well. Now, now we look at that, you know, coming back to life. There, there are people today that have been resuscitated, right? Clinically dead. We could argue they didn't really die. Heart may have stopped, but you know, resuscitated back to life. That, that's, a, that's great. And we, we pray for that. And, and I know people that have loved ones that have been resuscitated back to life. And we rejoice in that. Jesus, in his ministry, restored people back to life. We think of Lazarus, who was dead. It wasn't just clinically dead. He was dead for four days. And Jesus spoke life back in, into him. He was restored back to life. That's not resurrection. Lazarus would still live out his earthly life and die. Jesus resurrected. He came back to life, never to die again. That's what Jesus is promising you and me. And that he's promising us a life, the quality of which we could only dream of right now. God has eternal life in store for you, free from the heartache, free from the problems, free from the effects of sin. The quality of eternal life that God is promising you is amazing. And it gives us, again, living hope, reason to, to live each and every day. It was made possible again through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The Apostle Paul talked, talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, we of all people must be, our, excuse me, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Unfortunately, there are people who call themselves Christians that believe the tomb was not empty on Easter morning. And Paul says, hey, if you think the tomb wasn't empty, that somehow his body is still buried, you have no hope. If, if your hope is only for this life, 
That's not what it's about. Jesus physically came back to life. He appeared to his followers. Jesus said, hey, come look at my hands. See the scar, scar marks, my side. Stop doubting and believe. A ghost doesn't have flesh and blood. He had a physically resurrected body, and he's, he's been in that resurrected body ever since. And, and again, um, we, we go back to that, and, and that if our hope is only for this life, we are to be pitied more than anybody else. But our hope is for everlasting life. And the reason we can have living hope is because of that initial resurrection that, that Jesus uh, accomplished. Now back to the mice. The researcher, Richter, he said that the possibility, he thought, that the, the mice that had this idea in their little brain, the possibility of being rescued, that that gave them hope to, to live. Now realize that, that God gives us more than simply a possibility of being saved. God gives us the promise of salvation. Verses 4 and 5. It says, And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So here's the next fill-in. Living hope isn't based on the possibility of salvation, but on the promises of salvation. The Christian hope is not an iffy hope. It's not the same as, boy, I hope to, hope to win the lottery one day. Yeah, as if that's going to happen. It is an absolute hope. It's a living hope, not based on the possibility, but on the promises of God. And, and by the way, God makes all kinds of promises in his word. God always keeps his promises. Those who add them up claim that there are over 3,000 promises that God has made to us in his word he won't break any promise. He will keep all promises. And he gives us some in our text. Again, verse 4 says that we, we have living hope into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. God promises us that we have an inheritance awaiting us. Think of it this way. Jesus lived, he died, and he came back to life. He deserves a full inheritance because he is the perfect son of God. But Jesus says, you're my brothers, my sisters, and I share the inheritance with you. You have an inheritance awaiting, for you, awaiting you in heaven, and it's kept safe there. Now, we have earthly inheritances. Uh, perhaps you've inherited from, from your parents who are, are deceased, and it's probably a monetary amount. And you might think it's safe, but it really isn't. In the ancient world, Valuable simply were not that safe. You might keep things safe, but over time they corrode, they fade, they become corrupted, or thieves break in and steal. The safest place is heaven. There's no better security than the security of heaven. Nothing evil dwells there. There are no thieves, there's no corruption, there's no rust. It's safely stored there. You have an inheritance through the mercy of God, through Jesus rising from the dead, because we are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, an inheritance that's waiting for us. That's a, a promise that God will keep. And again, living hope is based on promises. Secondly, in the meantime, Peter says we are shielded by God's power through Jesus Christ. 
God shields us by God's power in the meantime. And that doesn't mean we're free from troubles. Come back next week. Those early Christians who were scattered started facing persecution because of their faith in Jesus. Sometimes you become a Christian, your problems become greater. You become a target. But God says, but I'm shielding you. We know that angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. You have guardian angels. And God says, in the meantime, as you live out your earthly life, uh, again, he is shielding us. And thirdly, the third promise here is that salvation is coming. It is about to be revealed, this coming salvation. Now, you might be a little bit confused. What do you mean coming salvation as if it's a future event? Well, it is. Well, I thought salvation is something that has already happened. It has. The Bible says that we have been saved. It's complete. The Bible says we are being saved. It's something happening right now. And the Bible says we will be saved. All three are true. Now, now let me explain it this way. That salvation has already happened. We have been saved. We've been saved from the penalty of our sins. Jesus faced that penalty, that second death already for us. He's accomplished it. He was punished for our sins. What we deserved hell, he already paid for. It's complete. God declares us not guilty because Jesus was punished in our place. So we have been saved. We are being saved from the power of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. This is what sanctification is all about. We talked about that the other week, that right now the Holy Spirit is working with us. He is sanctifying us. He's setting us apart for God. And he's helping us right now because we struggle. We are sinners and saints at the same time. And our, our sinful nature gets the stronghold. It becomes more dominant. And then our faith nature becomes more dominant. And the power of sin, when our faith nature is stronger, when you're connected to God through his word, through the sacrament, you are stronger in your faith and, and you are being saved not for eternal life, you've already been saved through Christ Jesus, but you're being saved from the power of sin as you grow in your faith. And, and we'll be completely sanctified once we're in heaven. Thirdly, we will be saved from the presence of sin. From the presence of sin. When, when Christ returns and we are brought to God's glorious heaven, there's no more presence of sin. Other people cannot do things to harm us. Satan cannot tempt us. We are free from the presence of sin. We're saved from the presence of sin for all eternity. So again, that's a promise of God. The salvation um, is waiting us on that great and glorious day of his return. Now, as Christians, we again have this living hope. The unbelieving world doesn't have it. Living hope. They may have an earthly hope, but it's not living hope. Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter 2. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Without Christ, we were without living hope. With Christ, we have living hope. Now, again, the world doesn't have living hope, if you want evidence of that, attend, attend a non-Christian funeral. I've done that a couple times out of respect for the family. And I'm telling you, it was, it was so difficult because there was no comfort there. There was no comfort of forgiveness in Christ and, and everlasting life. It was only despair. 
there is no real lasting hope for people who are apart from Christ. Now, now, now why do I say this? Um, my friends, I don't say this to say, okay, we have living hope, the rest of the world doesn't, you know, good for us, bad for them. No. Have a heart. You possess something right now that the world needs. I was listening to a, a YouTube, YouTuber, and he, he's an expert in his field. He's, he's a young man. He'd be of the millennial generation. Consider an expert listening to him. And somebody in the chat uh, chatted, what's the meaning of life? And he read it online. And he said, what's the meaning of life? He says, that I cannot answer. I have no idea why we're even here. And it, and it dawned on me, he, like many of his generation, the millennials, are without God. 87% do not worship God, do not come to worship, and are without hope. My friends, have a heart for the lost. You possess something they need. Be straight up honest with them. Apart from Jesus, there is no heaven, there is no everlasting life with God. There is an existence apart from the love of God called hell. You don't want that. But with Jesus, there is forgiveness. With Jesus, there is connection. With Jesus, there is everlasting life. And, and there is every hope for the future. My friends, the bottom line is this. We have new life right now by the mercy and grace of God given to us at our new birth in him. We're changed by the mercy and grace of God. We have an inheritance that's waiting us as adopted children kept safe in heaven for us. And we're shielded right now by God's almighty power. Peter rejoices in the opening verse, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and great mercy has given us new birth. And then the last verse, in this you greatly rejoice. So as we end this message, let's just thank and praise God again for the fact that we have living hope. We have more to live for than a POW. We have more to live for than a mouse in a bucket. We have the sheer promises of God, everlasting life with our loving Savior God. To him be the glory. Amen. And now may the true peace of God which surpasses our understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. Visit us online at living-faith.church or better yet in person we worship every Sunday morning at the Midlothian Conference Center number one community circle drive Midlothian Texas 76065 we are very close to the Courtyard Marriott off of Highway 287 have a great day